Good morning, Northbrook. Um, glad some of you filtered in a little bit later because there were about a dozen of us in here for quite a while. But uh, glad you made it, and hopefully people are picking up on the live stream out there this morning. Uh, we are going to be in First uh, Thessalonians. If you'd like to open your Bibles to First Thessalonians five, we're going to look at a series of verses that I know you're going to hate. Just to warn you, uh, you won't hate them, but they're going to be those kind of verses that make you go, "Oh, yeah." Uh, yeah. So we'll talk about those. Um, I wanted to mention with uh, Alyssa that she has surgery tomorrow morning to put in a port and uh, uh, so that she can start chemo hopefully the week after that. So just if you think of her, be in prayer for her tomorrow. Let's read um, verses 12 to 28. Of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read it out loud and I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So have you had enough of this section of 1 Thessalonians? Is that enough for me to just close my Bible and we can go home and try to deal with this? Verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He surely will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let us consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Throughout this year, there's a word that has been repeatedly used in reference to the events that have been happening in our world. And it's a word that's been used to the point that I think we're all tired of hearing it. It's the word unprecedented. Tired of hearing that word? Everything is unprecedented. But whether we're tired of that word or not, no one can deny that the circumstances of 2020 have been life-changing for all of us. About a month ago, after my personal experience with COVID and my subsequent heart attack, 
I was thinking about a sermon for today. And I was wondering how many of us at Thanksgiving this week would look back on this year and actually find much that they were thankful for. All of us have been impacted by the virus in some way. Even if you haven't personally contracted it, you or a loved one may have faced job cuts, pay cuts, working from home or working remotely. Uh, If you're part of Northbrook, you've experienced online services, or you may have experienced even its greatest, most worst impact on the global world, the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. And by the way, the shelves are getting cleared off again. That's been in the news. So when we're done here today, you might want to run out and get some toilet paper before there isn't any left. That's for Terry, just so she knows that. And we have enough toilet paper. But in my little mind, as I was um, trying to recover from a heart attack, I thought, Okay, so that must be the worst thing that's coming this year. We're, we're close to the end of the year. That's probably it for the year. And then a few weeks later, really about two weeks later, our daughter found a lump and something much worse invaded our family. The C word. What someone has called the emperor of all maladies, cancer, came into our home. And it was then that the irony of the sermon I had chosen for today came to my mind. That it was already on the schedule, I'd already typed it into the Google uh, Sheets that we have out there, and, um, and had the passage chosen. Because I had entered into the schedule the title, Thanksgiving in Unprecedented Times, And the passage that I had chosen is the one that we just read together. And specifically, this phrase in here that I was going to focus on, written by Paul the Apostle as he was guided by the Holy Spirit, is found in verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's one of those those statements in the Bible that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't know about you. But, but it's, it's, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a nice idea. Paul issues a command. He actually issues a series of commands here, real short ones, one after another. And there's this triplet here. In, in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And then he follows that with, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So not only does he give us a command under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he ups the ante and says, you want to know the will of God for your life? Here it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. 
As, as I thought about this passage, there were, I realized that these words are not uncommon for Paul to speak. This is not a one-off in his letters. In his letter to the Philippian church, he wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God in everything. And don't be anxious about anything. He plays those words against each other. Nothing you're supposed to be anxious about. And everything you're supposed to pray about with thanksgiving to God. To the believers in Colossae, he said, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Again, to the church in Ephesus, he wrote, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's other places where he says similar things. And interestingly, in contrast to all these statements, he says in Romans 1.21 that in gratitude is the way of life for the unbeliever. So the will of God for his children is to be people who give thanks in everything. In contrast to the unbeliever who are not his children, who are the children of Satan, that their lives are marked by ingratitude. And to summarize Paul's world perspective, to use some big words this morning, believers then are people who are thankful to God, their Father, in and for everything. Now if your mind is like mine, which I I feel bad for you if it is, but if your mind is like mine, When you hear someone say that you're supposed to be thankful in and for everything, that little voice in your head starts to say, but certainly God doesn't mean this thing, like a heart attack or cancer or other things. Certainly what he means is that we should be thankful for the blessings and and these other things we're thankful for how God uses them in our lives only I'm going to do it to you again Andrew there's this old song count your blessings name them one by one I, I was singing that to Andrew as a joke. On the, he drove me home last Sunday, and then he said, thanks for getting that in my head. So <laughs> I don't know how long it lasted, but there it is again. But you know, the whole message of that song, if you go and look it up, is really all the good things be thankful for. When you're down and you're discouraged, you start listing all the good things that God has done for you. We have a, we have a phrase in our house that we use We've been trying to do this for a long time. We talk about pleasant blessings and unpleasant blessings. 
There are pleasant blessings that are things that we enjoy and there are unpleasant blessings that come from the hand of a good father. And we're to be thankful, as Paul says in in Ephesians, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just let that thought sink in on the, as you reflect on 2020. Look back over the year and think of the things that have touched your life over the year. And be honest about your feelings of thankfulness for the things that have happened over 2020. If you're like me, you're struggling with Paul's worldview. But the fact is that what Paul says, when he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesians. And when he says here in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It's a truth that's not optional. As I said earlier, Paul doesn't set this out on the table, so to speak, and say, you know, this would really be a, a good way of life. If you would learn to be thankful in everything, if you would learn to be thankful uh, and, and pray without ceasing and rejoice always, which I, I've... There's, there's a movie called Princess Bride. And there's a, there's a point in it where this one person keeps saying that something is inconceivable. And finally, one of the other characters says, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And it doesn't. But that word rejoice is one of those ones that I want to say to people, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Was criticized this past summer for not being joyful. And I said, how do you define joy? What do you mean by that? Well, I don't know. (laughs) It's just like, okay, so you have no idea what the word means, but you're saying I'm not that. Well, you know, it's not happy, no, but how everybody explains it, it sounds like happiness. But Paul is saying, rejoice, which I don't have time to deal with this morning. Pray without ceasing and be thankful always and for everything. And that truth is spoken by a man who understood suffering beyond what any of us have experienced. I can guarantee you that none of us have experienced suffering to the level that Paul did. He's not a man who lived in luxury, nor was he a man who was untouched by the sorrows of this world. He recalls his life journey in 2 Corinthians 11. And 2 Corinthians 11 is relatively somewhat early in his career, if you will. He said he had stripes above measure, which would mean basically I had so many, so many whip 
marks on me. You can't count them. In prisons frequently, in deaths often. Five times, he says, he received 39 whippings with a cat of nine tails. Most people didn't survive that. Most people died from that. And five times he had that. And it was a process that would rip muscles and tendons and nerves. It would dig into bones. It would just lay you open like hamburger across. They would wrap you and then just rip you open. Three times he says he was beaten with rods. And once he was stoned. And, and a lot of people think stoning is they picked up little rocks and chucked them at him. Stoning, typically, they put you down in some, some kind of a pit and chuck big rocks on you. Three times, he says, he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day trying to survive in the ocean. He says his travels brought threats to his life, not only in the waters, but from robbers, from Jews, from Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, and from those who pretended to be Christians but were not. In other words, his life was always under threat. Somebody was always trying to kill him. He was never really safe anywhere. He speaks of living in weariness and toil. He says he was often sleepless. He was hungry and thirsty. Taking that to saying he often went long periods without food. He had times of exposure to the elements because he was naked. Out in the elements without any clothes. No blankets, no nothing. And yet, that Paul who experienced all of those things throughout his life was known for thankfulness. And it wasn't just at Thanksgiving, but it was a a worldview, a way of looking at life, a way of interpreting all the circumstances that touched his life. To be able to say without hypocrisy, giving thanks always and for everything to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul calls us to do the same. Paul commands us to do the same. Paul commands us to live with a continuing inner attitude that responds to all the events of our lives with thanksgiving. And the question that I wrestle with is how is this possible? How is that possible? Even if, you know, there's times, and and this isn't a right worldview, and it isn't a right way of thinking, but there are times when I look at other people, particularly some unsaved people I know, and it's just like, nothing happens to them. And they've got it all. And, you know, somebody could say, well, they're not really happy because they're finding their happiness in things and there's no real security in that. You ever notice the commercials? commercials? You have a Corvette, you smile a lot. Have you ever noticed that? If you have the right appliances, you have very white teeth and you smile a lot and your children are very well behaved. 
And, and of course, I, I don't live behind the walls of their house to see what's really going on in their home. But it just seems like they're not touched by all the stuff that seems to have been my experience. And it's, it's sometimes I start to fall into this mentality of, well, if, if I had that kind of a house and that kind of a car and looked like that, and I'd probably be smiling too, and I could give thanks. I'd have a lot to give thanks for. Hopefully I'm not the only person who ever thinks this way here this morning, you know. But Paul tells us that this is supposed to be always and for everything. And my question again is, how is this possible? I want to be clear about something here so no one goes away confused. There is something Paul is not saying when he says, be thankful always and in everything. He's not saying that we should celebrate evil or the curse of sin. At Thanksgiving, I don't think it's time to sit down at the table and say, I am thankful that cancer is in this world and it found us. I am thankful that families are blowing apart. I am thankful that COVID is killing hundreds of thousands and into the millions of people. But that's not what Paul's saying. We don't celebrate evil. We don't celebrate the curse of sin. There's, there's, a, there's a book that I have, and it's, it's an excellent book. It's not an easy read. But if you've heard of Tim Keller, he used to pastor in, in New York City. Um, he has a, his church was called Redeemer Church. He started a network called um, City to City Church Planting. Isaac Feller, who's planting the PCA Church downtown. He's preached here probably three times now. Good friend. Um, uh, he came out of the City to City Network and is planting through that ministry. Um, Tim Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And again, it's, it's not an easy read. If you're in the throes of suffering, you, you might get bogged down. <laughs> His first four chapters are on the four main world views of how we should, and, and how we should, the four main religions, um, non-Christian religions, and how they view suffering, and how we should, how their people would view suffering. And then he deals with the Christian worldview and rebuts those worldviews. So there's a lot of philosophy in those first four chapters. And if you get the book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, um, you could even skip those first four chapters and just go into um, what he writes about walking with God. But he says this in one of his chapters about how we should view death. He says this, Genesis 1 and 2 show us humankind put by God into a world without death or suffering. 
The evil we see today was not part of God's original design. That means that ultimately, even a peaceful death at the age of 90 years old is not the way things were meant to be. That phrase really caught my attention the first time I read the book. He says, goes on to say, those of us who sense the wrongness of death in any form are correct. The quote, rage at the dying of the light is our intuition that we were not meant for mortality. We were not meant for the loss of love or for the triumph of darkness. In order to help people face death and grief, we often tell people that it is a perfectly natural way of life. But that asks them to repress a very right and profound human intuition that we were not meant to go to dust and that love was meant to last. When we stand at the graveside and say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that was not what God meant for humanity. It may be the normal experience that we have today, but human beings were meant for immortality. Death came by sin. And because one man's sin, death has touched the entire human race. It's interesting to me, I, I wrote to Elizabeth last week that I have a very different view of cancer than I used to. We buried far more people than I would like to remember in Tama. Thirteen funerals in my first 12 months at that church. Many of them were cancer deaths. I've walked with a lot of people through that process been at their bedside when they passed. It's a horrible disease. We, we insulate ourselves and we try to shield ourselves from it. But it's a horrible disease. But what, is, what has been interesting to me is that, well, it's just, it's just been a totally different perspective to be on the other side of it now. But we've heard the comments, and I've even thought it myself, but she's only 30. And the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is, you're not supposed to bury your children. But the reality is, we aren't supposed to bury anyone. And death is no more natural at 90 than it is at 30. But she's so young. See what that reveals? We've accepted that it's natural in older life. Well, they've lived a good full life. We should be just as repulsed by death at the age of 90 as we are by a child who dies of brain cancer at five. It's wrong. 
and we should rage at it. We should hate it. My point is this. Paul is not calling us to celebrate the curse of sin or evil. But having said that, there are still things for which we can be thankful as our beings experience the suffering of this world. There's a lot of things. How can we be thankful for the lives we've had to experience in 2020? There's just three things that I'll point you to this morning because every good Baptist has three points in their sermon. First, actually I have three points because that filled up my, the length of my, I know how long I'm going to go by how many pages I have. So when I get to the end of that page, that magic page, then I know that's all the points I can have. But first, we can be thankful for the presence of God in the midst of suffering. There are so many times that when we are suffering that it can feel like God is distant to us. But in the midst of suffering, it's a good time to remember that God is always and in everything present. Psalm 23 tells us that God is present and His presence And in his presence, we can find comfort as we journey through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 34 reminds us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Close to the brokenhearted. Not just aware of the brokenhearted. Not just comforting the brokenhearted. Not just encouraging the brokenhearted. But God is close to the brokenhearted. And that's written in Psalms. That's not written in the New Testament epistles. That's written in Psalms where they didn't have the continuing presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Where Jesus had not yet actually died. And the psalmist says the Lord is close and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The, the psalmist brings out a special relationship between God and His people when they are crushed in spirit. Almost as though that that is something that is exclusively experienced by those people. He, is, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 46 very familiar passage speaks to the fact that not only is God our refuge and strength but that he is a and these are important words a very present help in trouble he's not just aware again he's not just using those circumstances for good in your life, but He is a very present help in trouble. 
As I thought about that, I was reminded that when Jesus, as he died on the cross, cried out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? For a long time, I had a pseudo-heresy in my mind that somehow there was a separation in the Trinity. What those words mean is that God abandoned him to the cross and didn't rescue him from it. If anyone should have known God, his Father, as a very present help, in trouble as one who saves those who are crushed in spirit it should have been Jesus but the father did not rescue him from the cross instead the father abandoned Jesus to the cross and left him without help in suffering and death so that Jesus's brothers and sisters would never, ever know or experience what Jesus experienced. There is never a time because of Jesus. There is never a time where the children of God are ever abandoned by the Father. They are never forgotten by the Father. They are never left to their own devices to figure it out by the Father. So we can with confidence know and believe the words of Hebrews 13 when our Father says specifically, I will never leave you or forsake you. But it seems like He's so far away. It feels like he's not hearing my prayers. And those are the times that we need to remind ourselves that he is a very present help. Those are the times when we need to remind ourselves that he will never leave me or forsake me. Those are the times that we need to remind ourselves of the Holy Spirit living in us and that God couldn't be any closer to us than He is. David Jeremiah wrote a book. Some of you have heard of him. He's a pastor out of California. He was diagnosed with cancer uh, probably 20 years ago now. He wrote a book called A Bend in the Road, which I got 20-some years ago and read it. And he asked the question of why do we at times feel like God is not near? Why does it seem like he's distant? And he, he speculated this, and it made sense to me, that sometimes God removes a sense of his presence from us in order for us to learn to walk by faith. To believe that even though I don't feel him, he is there. And so we can be thankful that even when our minds tell us that he's not there, that his word tells us that he is there. And to know that we have a father we can go to and say, help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith.
So I'd encourage you this Thanksgiving to be thankful that God has always been and currently remains near and strong on your behalf. Second, we can be thankful that our sovereign Father and our sovereign King Jesus never waste our suffering. Our sovereign Father and our sovereign King Jesus never waste our suffering. And I've talked about this so many times. And I worry that some believe that I have only one drum to beat. But as I thought about this, and I thought about not including this today, but I thought, man, if it's true that I have only one drum to beat, what a wonderful drum to beat. That none of the experiences of our lives are wasted. No matter how incredibly bad they may seem to be, none of the experiences of our lives are wasted. Romans 8.28 is true that God is working on our behalf for good in the midst of all of our fear and all of our grief and all of our pain. Our experience is not one of serendipity, random acts just happening. Because God is working on our behalf for good. Nothing in the events of our lives, even when it feels to us like they are, nothing is spinning out of control. Nothing is spinning out of control because Jesus is on the throne and will reign forever. Our Father has purposed all the events of our lives to shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus. And I'm going to keep saying it until I perfectly believe it and until you perfectly believe it. You know, the writer of Hebrews transparently admits that all training is painful. All training is painful. But he also recognizes the truth that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives, and that was God's intent in redeeming you. God's intent in redeeming you was not simply to save you from hell. God's intent in redeeming you was not simply to, to break the power of sin in your life or to break the power of death over you. God's purpose in redeeming you, His intent, was that you, through the events and circumstances of your life, would be transformed into the image of Jesus. And if you look at these words again in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for or because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's goal in redeeming you, His will in saving you, 
is to bring you, to bring me, to be people who can and do give thanks in everything. And as he says in Ephesians, in and for everything. And he says this is the will of God in both of those places, in Christ Jesus. Those are terms that speak of the fact that because God has saved us, He has redeemed us through Jesus' work, the will of God is being accomplished and will be ultimately completed. Those circumstances that feel like you could never find a spot in your heart to be thankful God is saying, be thankful even in this because it's my will for you in Christ Jesus, in redeeming you. My intent was to make you a person who can see what I'm doing and to shape you to the point that you can say thank you. Jesus came to earth and he died and he rose again so that humans, sinful, rebellious, depraved humans could become not only the children of God, but become like their older brother, Jesus. What a wonderful gift. So I would encourage you again to be thankful this Thanksgiving that through all of 2020, through all the events of your life and all that remains of your life on this earth, God is transforming you into the image of Jesus so that when people see you, they will see your Father in heaven. Remember what I talked about just a couple weeks ago? When Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's God's intent for all of his children, all the brothers and sisters of Jesus. One day that'll be complete and perfect, but right now it should be happening. Made in the image of God, restored to the image of God. Third, we can be thankful that our future is certain and amazing. Earlier in chapter four of 1 Thessalonians, Paul wants to comfort these believers that he's writing to because some of them seem to believe that they've missed the return of Jesus. They must have been premillennial, pre-trib rapture, dispensationalists, and they thought that, you know, they'd, they'd missed it and they were still stuck here or something. If you are a dispensationalist, I love you still. I used to be. I'm not anything now. But he says these words in, let's just begin in um, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, 
God will bring with him, Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul wants to comfort these believers by reminding them of their future and the future of all God's children who experience death in this life. I don't know what the future holds for my daughter. We have a mantra in our house now, today, focus on today. It's a 65% survival rate for what she has, assuming it hasn't spread. Those statistics weigh on me at times. Anthony, we don't know how much longer Anthony's going to be with us. I'm thankful that he's been with us for as long as he has. I'm more thankful for what God has done in Andrew through this. And I've learned a lot from him. And as now I start this journey with my daughter, I'm, I'm trying to apply the things that I have learned from Andrew. But the reality is that all of us, unless Jesus returns first, will experience death. It isn't natural. It isn't right but we will. And I've said, we live in the valley of the shadow of death. I used to think that that meant people who were close to dying. I've come to believe that it refers to the fact that we all live under the shadow of death. And death's shadow can at times seem to blot out the light and death itself brings grief and pain. But Paul reminds us that we have hope even in the greatest times of grief. And that hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Our Father, as we saw in Acts 2, did not forget His Son Jesus in the grave. He may have abandoned Him to the cross, He did not abandon him to the grave or to Hades. He did not forget him. Nor has he forgotten any other of his children who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Not a single one. There are cemeteries with people buried who were buried in Christ and you can read their tombstones or maybe their tombstones have become worn down to the point that you can't even figure out who they are and some people, their graves 
People don't even know they've been buried there. But every single child of God that has ever been buried, whether at sea or at land, whether cremated or put in the ground in a box, every single one of them, he knows where they are. And even if they've gone back to dust or became food for an animal somewhere, God knows where every part of them is. And in fact, he is so aware of them that Paul confidently declares here in chapter 4 that every one of them will rise from the dead before any human being living begins to rise in the air. They get special treatment. As people have joked about because they're six feet under it, so everybody goes up at the same time. I think the reality of that message is God has given priority to those bodies that they come up first. And the living then join them in the air. And he tells us here in chapter 4 that there will be a day when the trumpet of the Lord sounds and the voice of an archangel cries out triumphant command. And on that day, the dead in Christ will break out of their graves. And those of us who are still alive will all together rise from this broken world. And in that moment, we're not going to get new bodies. X that out of your mind. We're going to get these bodies completely fixed. We don't get a new body when we die. Please stop saying that Uncle so-and-so now has his whatever back. We don't get a new body when we die. And we don't even get a new body. We get this body perfected in and out. Everything about us will be new. And if you hate your body now, you're going to love it when it's all fixed. You say, what will we look like? I don't know, except that we will be like Him. But no child of God will be forgotten. No one will be left out. And it won't just be angels who greet us in the air. It's not going to be like the angels who cried out to the shepherds that Jesus was born. And they're the only ones up there. We will meet Jesus in the air. Because we're told that Jesus himself will descend from heaven. And Jesus himself will cry out in power over death and the grave. I've often wondered if it will be the same command that Lazarus heard. I wonder if every dead believer will hear their name and the command, come forth. And 
and their spirit will be merged with that brand new body and we're all going to be looking at Jesus and then eventually going, wow, that, that finger isn't crooked anymore and that leg isn't crooked anymore and, and, and we're just going to be amazed. Whatever the case, the thing that Paul wants us to catch the most that we're to know and remember is that we will always, forever, be with the Lord. This old earth is going to be made new and we in new bodies will live in peace on the, earth, on the new earth in the presence of our God as he dwells with his people. So let me encourage you to be thankful this Thanksgiving that the grave is not the end and death will never be the victor. And your body will be made new. And there is hope in the shadow of death. Paul ends 1 Corinthians 4 by saying, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. I think we have a lot to be thankful for. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook last night. God is so wise, so good, so powerful, and so perfect. This season, including all of 2020, is all part of his goodness to us as a church. He is committed to making us strong in him. He has promised to take his children and conform them into the image of Jesus. So let us give thanks to God for his care for us. Let us pray that he would grow and teach us during this time. Let us obediently follow him by praying to him and by seeking to care for one another during this time. And let us care deeply for those who are lost and have no hope in Christ. Reach out to them, pray for them, seek to show love and kindness to them in tangible ways. May our hearts and our minds be thankful to God because of Jesus always and in every circumstance. Let's pray. Father, you know everything that touches our lives. And you have purposed that in everything that touches our lives, that you are at work for good in us to transform us into the image of your Son. And God, there are parts of that that give me hard moments because I don't understand all the time how these circumstances have to be the ones that you choose to transform me and the people I love and care about into the image of your son. I don't wrestle with the second part. I wrestle with the first part. 
the things that you have sovereignly chosen. And there are people who will say, no, God didn't. This isn't God's will. And not only that, does that go against what the Bible says, but it leaves me, it would leave me if I believe that in a place where this is pure, utter chaos and God's just trying to keep it together. And that makes no sense. God, strengthen our faith to believe that you are sovereign, that Jesus reigns. Strengthen our faith to believe that you do not waste our suffering. Strengthen our faith to believe that the grave does not win and death is not the victor. Strengthen our faith to be able to boldly proclaim along with Paul and mock death and say, oh death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Help us to believe that you are always near, that you are in us, that you have united us together with Jesus. Help us to be able to say, always, and in every circumstance, thank you. You are good. And I ask this in your son's name. Amen.